Greetings everyone, this is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Chointcast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. Are you a CPA, attorney, or a partner in a professional services firm? Chointcast 13 showcases Wesley Middleton's personal and professional journey in his book, Violent Leadership. Unsatisfied with the practice and lifestyle found within the usual managerial-styled CPA firm, Middleton has pioneered a different kind of firm, the 21st century CPA firm, MRZ Financial, based on a leadership model suitable for any professional services group. Middleton is also the host of the Violent Leadership Podcast, a member of the Royalwood Church Band and a team leader of the church's men's group. Greetings, everyone. Today we're going to meet Wesley Middleton, who's a CPA and the author of a most interesting titled book, Violent Leadership. Welcome to the Chointcast, Wesley. Uh, before we start, uh, we, we, had, we had spoken before and I had mentioned to you I'm surrounded by CPAs. How did you become a CPA? Uh, you know, I, I ask myself that question a lot. How in the world did I get here? Um uh, it was just one of those paths I took. My dad was uh, was an accountant in industry, and so I I think it was just I didn't know what else to do, and so I went to college and got the education. So here I am. Well, I'm surrounded by definitely don't fit <laughs> I'm the surrounded mold. by two or three. So I had to ask you about that. And how do how do people find you um, online, social media, the web? Uh, a couple of ways. I mean, I, I'm active on Twitter. It, at Wesley M CPA, and of course LinkedIn, uh, I'm there. And then you can also go to uh, WesleyMiddleton.com, and uh, there's plenty of information there. Ways to get a hold of me, or uh, whatever the case may be. So this is not just a shout out to the audience about Wesley's book, Violent Leadership. The fact he is a practicing CPA, and if you read his book, you'll probably be more interested in in having Wesley as your CPA because he's a little bit different. And I do want to share with you, Wesley, that when I wrote the book review for Violent Leadership, I found that you were putting a lot of statements and thoughts about the way you you want to treat people and the way you believe a business should be run. I saw those as elements of a leadership philosophy. So I took extraordinary liberty in pulling selected quotes from your book and composing the way I saw the formation of your own leadership philosophy. I put that in there. I was, I was curious how what you thought of that, but that's also something we do in our Academy Leadership Excellence courses. People who go through those end up drafting a leadership philosophy. So it's a, it was a different flow for a view. I think I've done that three times, so I wanted you to know, to know that. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I saw it. It was uh, what you've done is incredible. Uh, you, you've done more with it than I have. <laughs> so, I mean, that's it's great. It's great. I, I, I learned just from uh, you taking what you did out of my book and, and organizing it into a really uh, more succinct uh, philosophy, I guess you'd say. So, yeah, I very appreciate that. You're welcome. That. I'll, I'll have to share you with you a link later so that you can take a look at my leadership philosophy because they come in very different forms. Now, in, in, in looking you up a little bit, I noticed on LinkedIn that you're in a church band and you're also in a men's group. Can you share a little bit uh, a little bit about that with our audience? Yeah, you know, my faith, uh, it, 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 even the title of the book, uh, my faith has just been, uh, it's been first. Uh, 
and so um, I put a lot of effort as much as I can into to being involved in church and and uh, and so you know uh, I, my dad played uh, organ and piano when when I was growing up and I just was born with this uh, talent quite frankly uh, grew up doing it and uh, and so I took a few lessons later on in life and when I, when I was a teenager and uh, but I really just learned from uh, from being a part of that, and so it's just been uh, part of my life. And so, I, you know, I go to a Royalwood Church here in Houston, and, and our church band—it's uh, a fairly large church, and and you know, it's a real professional uh, group. And so, I I get to play uh, uh, the Hammond B3 organ, which is is a lot of fun. And so, it's I, you know, it's every weekend being a part of this uh, uh, church band. We we rehearse and then we have two services on Sunday and so it's a it's a lot of work but it's a it's a great it's a great way to for me to really stay involved with the, with the church and then uh, yeah involved with the men's group uh, I legal I teach leadership class at the church and so I you know I just found my place in that anything I can do to give back to to uh, the church and the organization in a way that helps others grow uh, just it's a passion and it's something I care about so. Uh, faith is important to me, and um, and I just think the more I put back into it, just you know, I just keep growing and getting more out of it. Well, that's really fun. Now you have the insider view of of an average CPA firm, and in your book you mention having been at some predecessor, if you will, CPA firms. Can you describe, you know, for for us lay people, what's the average culture in in a CPA firm from your point of view? <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, anytime you see the the word CPA or you hear the word accountant, I I know a certain uh, visual comes to mind, and it's probably not the same one I have of what that role is. But but you know, we're 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 stereotyped as uh, as uh, dry, focused, uh, working all the time, the numbers, uh, things of that sort. And and while all that's true, uh, a lot of CPA a lot of CPA firms that I have. And, and, and honestly, it's not just CPA firms; it's professional service firms are still rooted in the way that, that business was done, you know, 20 years ago, in the in the way the offices are are, are laid out, in the way the workflows happen, um, and and it's generally a quiet place, and people have their offices, and uh, there's not much not much interaction, you know. There's nice people and all of that sort of thing, but. Um, you know, the, the general average CPA firm is is what you'd expect to see probably any sort of professional service firm. It's exactly, it's probably exactly what you think <laughs> <Okay>. it is. <laughs> you know, we, we, whatever visual, I, I find that period, people actually do a really good job of stereotyping accountants for the most part. And so uh, I know it's a generalization, but it's, you know, it's our nature. Uh, it, it's, it, for most, for most accountants, it's, it's the reason we went to school. It's the reason we ended up in the in the career path we did. It was just that uh, was just that type of personality. So, uh, you know, things are changing, and uh, CPA firms are evolving. But you know, as as CPAs, we're uh, we're typically very uh, uh, conservative, and so it's not you know to hear a, a cutting edge you know, CPA with you know sort of out there and doing things different is is very much uh, against the green. It's not like we're Google and you've got, you know, innovation on a regular basis. We're not known for that. But 
but you know, but but we have to change, and and so our profession is is really going through a lot of disruption, and and a lot of things are happening, uh, and you know, I think the the older uh, population of CPAs have been reluctant to change, and uh, and 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 there's still a lot of firms that are still doing things the way they always have. Now, that's a great setup into the next question, Wesley, because you put, you put, you know, essentially in your story, if you will, you could no longer work in that type of environment. Uh, why is that? Yeah, you know, uh, it was a couple of different things. One, one thing that's I think is uh, common in in, in CPA firms, and I, I can't just say CPA firms, but professional service firms is. You know, it's it's hard to find a, an organization that operates as one organization. And so while you'll have CPA firms that may have four or five partners, and what they really are are three or four uh, partners that are sharing a name and an expense-sharing type arrangement really is what it is. They each have their, their book of business and their own personal way of doing things. And and so for me, that just, just wasn't how – I just couldn't do that. I, I didn't see how a firm or, or any organization could move forward – with five different ways of doing things or ten different ways of doing things and, and no one real single leader uh, and and just no culture of community and family and uh, really people really passionate about, about the organization. So uh, it just wasn't something that I found myself, uh, I found myself frustrated uh, on multiple fronts and, uh, and just finally realized, you know what, the only way I'm probably going to have the culture that, that I that I think we should have is if I is if I go out and, and just start that culture on my own, and that's that's what we did. That sets us up for the term violent leadership. And by the way, that part you just described, your journey of not wanting to tolerate an older style firm, especially one that couldn't revolve around a single unified purpose, for me that was probably the strongest part of the book. And and really pulled me in. It's a it's quite a it's quite a thing to share. And I I mentioned to you earlier, I I see that as almost, you might even be a unicorn in that industry, uh, someone who's breaking away, doing it differently. And I applaud you for that. Now, violent leadership's a provocative sounding term, but you also tie it to to energy. Can you unpack that for us? Well, you know, I think you know it's back to the if you go back to the first question you asked me, which was you know you asked me. Uh, really about the music at church and the faith, and and so for me, the term violent leadership goes back to it go, you really have to look back to what it, what it meant to me, and it was because as as I ended my career, there was this one scripture that just uh, and I don't know that I recall the exact point in time that it really became uh, uh, the forefront of, of my of my thinking, but but in, in the scripture of Matthew eleven and twelve. Uh, it says the the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And so that whole take it by force really resonated with me, and and I just felt like you know what, nothing is going to happen except that I, I exert some force to make it happen. And so, and and I sort of lived by that uh, by that in my whole my whole life and my career just. Uh, not afraid to just sort of take control and make things happen. That that you really had to you really had to press it forward. You couldn't be passive and and wait on things because um, and not to confuse that with patience, 
but but that you just couldn't uh, sit back and do that. And so uh, when I when I really got to digging into the uh, to the root of the word, what I found was uh, it really has a much different meaning than we have in our in our culture today. And and when you when you look when you look at the root of the word, uh, uh, various. Uh, 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 the concordance, strong concordance, some of the other, other sources, they really, they really show this word violent as someone who's eager in pursuit and more of an a positive assertiveness and, and not really the negative uh, uh, connotation that we had. It was, it was taking hold on something with aggressiveness and, and, and energetic and eager. And so when I, when I really tapped in, I thought, wow. That's exactly that's exactly what my style of leadership is, and so as far as how, how unpopular the term violent may be, uh, in its in its original context, in, in the context that I use it in, it's exactly it's exactly who I am and who I want to be, and so uh, uh, that led that led to to me really building. Uh, the story of how we got to where we are around that style of leadership. It makes a lot of sense, and I really like the way you put that into context. It's just not somebody who's trying to act aggressively on purpose. To me, it was really stepping away and deciding, as you said, not being passive anymore. It's time to try something. To me, it's almost a, a classical entrepreneur story. It's pretty neat. And you have a, a fun visual, or at least a visual to me. You have a concept of being a thermostat or a thermometer. Can you share that with us? Yeah, you know it's a it's a. I I was uh, I can't take credit for the idea. I, I actually heard it at church, is where I was at, and 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 someone um, uh, made this comment, and um, and it, it just when it when it hit me, I'm like wow, what that is just that's incredible. If you think about that in in a leadership perspective, which is, I know that when I walk into a room and and. Uh, and I'm I'm with people. I bring an energy. I bring a I bring something to the room that affects how other people act, and that's exactly what a thermostat is. You know, when when we want to when we want to warm the room up, cool the room down, we use a thermostat to do that. Because so the thermostat sets the temperature of the environment that we're in, and and yet the the thermometer is the one that. It's just hanging on the wall, and it's basically just recording and telling you what the temperature is. And so uh, when I began to correlate that to a management style and, and an actual personality, I find that there's, there's a clear distinction between people who act as thermostats and those that uh, act as thermometers. And we'll use the term charisma and other terms to maybe describe it, but for me, it was there again. I, I like to understand things at a very basic level, and so it's really easy for me to understand if, if I can walk into the room and share my energy and share my passion and share what I'm doing, it somehow raises the energy and passion in the room. I'm being a thermostat and I'm being an effective leader, and so uh, it, it really it really helps me teach and develop the people around me that you know what. Uh, part of the sort of violent leadership uh, process is is we don't wait for for someone else to affect the temperature and the energy and the passion in the room. We are the passion and the energy, and we have to own that. And and while it may be comfortable, it may be uh, easy. It's a maybe learned process. It is absolutely something that I believe a great leader uh, 
will really focus on and, and recognize that the things we do say, behaviors, our actions, they decide the temperature of the room, so to speak. Whatever what you is. found and what we also use in our Academy Leadership Excellence courses, Wesley, touch upon the same thing, that our effectiveness as a leader is directly tied to our, our energy levels, or put another way, who's ever been motivated by by a worn out sourpuss. So it's pretty it's pretty it's it's pretty oh, interesting. No now my favorite part of your book has to be the way you opened yourself up to feedback. And you, you used stronger words than that I believe, but you decided you needed to do that in order to grow. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about that journey. Well you know uh, any any married Man, especially, I can speak for I can only speak for the, the men. Uh, you, what I've learned is you, you better be open to feedback because uh, you're going to get a bunch of it, right? And so, uh, that's the first where it started was, um, you know, when I, I think when back when I first got married and and you know in the first couple of years and I started getting that, that feedback from your spouse who knows you probably better than anybody in, in the world and uh, and so it's hard to take and it's even harder to take coming from someone that's closer to you and so it really takes uh for me i should say took me it took me it was tough to just keep my mouth shut and to take that feedback and to own it and and really start looking inward and and uh and, and process that because i it was just tough for me but what I, what I learned was was that the more times that I stopped and listened and processed and didn't react and slept on it and, and, and really just took a little time to process what I was told, it wasn't always maybe exactly the way it was told to me or, or exactly the way I received it, but there was always some element of truth into what I was receiving. And, and so what I found, uh, even as, I was, as, as we started to firm and grew up, was if I really wanted to be a firm, if we wanted to be a firm that that it was that was attractive to a younger generation, how could I possibly know what that would be if I didn't listen to them? And so, so it came from that place. It also came from a place of being uh, a part of a firm where I was the young guy. I was the you know the thirty-something partner with all the you know sort of the older fifty-eight, sixty-two-year-old guys that that just had their way of doing it. And, and no matter what I said, they were not hearing what I had to say. And whether I was right or wrong, I wasn't even being heard. And so uh, I, I said to myself at that point in time, if I am ever in that position, the people around me will not feel like they are at least not being heard. May not do everything they say, may not follow all the suggestions that I hear, but you know what? Shame on me if I can't take a few minutes and listen to the people around me. And, and quite frankly, I've learned more. I've tried more things. Uh, the best ideas have come from, I don't want to say the lowest levels, but only that from, that, from, a, from, a, uh, from a, an experienced perspective. You know? And so it's, a, it's really those first and second year and those younger kids coming out of college that are eager and full of energy and bright ideas. And uh, they don't always know the context to, to, to implement it and how to execute it. But if you can stop and listen and just – just for one minute, give it a little bit of uh, attention. There is so much to learn from this generation and from the people around us. It's a, it's a wonderful revelation there, Wesley. And 
I really like the part where you said, if I'm ever in that position, how many of us have ever said, you know, when, it, when I'm in that position or when I do it, then maybe reflect that years later, gee, I just became something I didn't like. Given all that, what's, what, what can we say is yeah. different? You know, what's different about the environment in your current CPA firm, visible, let's say, internally and externally, vis-a-vis -vis these prior ones that you left behind? Well, you know, it's it's so many things that, that I think uh, affect the culture and the way a firm operates, and and so uh, for, uh, first, I think you have to be uh, intentional about it, and it just, you know, great culture doesn't just happen, and so uh, uh, it, it, it's intentional, it's hard, it's planned, it's 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 an effort, and and it it starts from the from the minute you walk in the door, and we we look at everything that we do in our organization from from what's on the walls to the floor of the office to the, what the seating looks like. Uh, and, and, and we, we craft that around what we said, our values and what we wanted the office to be. So if we wanted a collaborative environment, right, but you walk into an office that's, it's, it's high cubicles and walls and closed up offices. To me, that's difficult to, to really empower collaboration. If, if it doesn't really, uh, is not conducive to collaboration. So, so we took all that into, and, and so if you walk in our office, it probably looks more like um, uh, may, maybe uh, maybe not as maybe not as uh, extreme as a Google or an Apple, but it, it would look more like that than it would a CPA. You wouldn't you would look at it and go, well, just people come in and go, you're a CPA firm? Yeah, we are. So when you walk in our office, no receptionist. You're met with a, an iPad that you check into, but there is no. Uh, there's no real reception area. You walk right into our common area, which is like our kitchen and uh, the TVs and, you know, where we all sort of hang out. So when, when, when a visitor or a guest or a client walks in, they sort of walk right into our house, so to speak. They come right in the front door, and they're just there. And, uh, and there's usually somebody out there to greet them, if, and if not, they sign in. And uh, you know, it says a lot of things about our firm. It, 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 it tells our clients and our people that, that we are advanced and we are – technology driven and we and uh we are open and and and, and uh, that we think outside the box and so it's everything about our organization that um that we try to promote and 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 when it comes to you know passion and energy we make sure that the things that are hanging on our walls are promoting those values and uh, we use the uh we use the net promoter score to man to, to to measure the satisfaction and experience of our clients and that's that's a score where the average uh, NPS score in a, in a CPA firm is about 18, which is just incredibly low. I don't even know how you have an NPS score that low, but in CPAs we do because we have no real client service. And so it was a big thing for us to really promote the client experience. And so what we have on our, on, in two areas in our offices, we, we have that score posted along with the score of you know Amazon and uh, Disney and Apple and and the people that we aspire to have that level of client service. And so um, by keeping those things forefront in front of our people, uh, you walk in and you see that and you, and you know real quick that you're not in a normal, uh, you're not in a normal professional services organization, quite frankly, much less a CPA firm. Uh, it has the look of something. It sounds like different. a pretty cool place to visit. And I love the way you, you have the active benchmarking there. You said with the net promoter score. You also describe, again, multiple times in Violent Leadership, how you want your organization positioned not just for now but also for the future. 
And I believe you came up with the server solver and advisor model as part of that. Can you explain that a bit to us? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a very uh, well-known, popular uh, style for professional services that's known as the, the finder, the minder, and the grinder. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a it's sort of the the holy grail of, of professional services of how they are supposed to be structured and and basically the theory was you had the finder who would go out and find the business you had the minder who would stay at the office and uh, mind the client relationship and you'd have the grinder who were the people who would just grind away at the work and quite frankly uh, it was true and it exact exactly how most professional services firms operate but as as we've evolved uh, and and technology has disrupted our, our firms and our organizations. And, and and for me, when I recognize, you know what, I don't want to operate like another CPA firm. I, I want my client service to be like Apple or the Four Seasons. I'm going to look outside my organization to find best practices because some of the best practices maybe in technology and the client experience or the employee experience or whatever whatever element that I'm trying to, to address – I'm fairly certain I'm not going to find that inside uh, another CPA firm. And so when I wanted to find it, I looked out, outside of our organization. And, and then that led me to realize, you know what? What we really are is we're about, we're about serving our clients. We're about ideas, answers. It's, oh, by the way, we produce a tax return in the end. But along the way, if we're not solving your problems, if we aren't serving you like, like, like – uh, like happens at other uh, organizations, such as the four. Uh, keep throwing the four seasons out there, or whoever, whoever your, your 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 model is for client service. And then, if we're not advising our clients, that is where the value is at. Uh, the value is not in the delivery of a product. And so, when you ask us what we do, I don't want I don't want grinders. I have technology for grinders. Let's replace the grinder. I don't need finders because. We, there again, in our organization, we, we we looked outside and said, well, what do other companies do to the, to, to grow their, their business? And most companies have a sales organization or sales area inside their company. So we did that. Like, well, we're just going to have our own. I'm not going to rely on a partner to grow this firm. We're going to have a true sales organization. And so uh, when, you, when you start putting all those things in place, and a CPA truly becomes an advisor. Not a minder, not a finder, not a grinder, but an advisor, and that's that's the ultimate uh, goal here. Is is we have to move from this model of compliance and 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 just grinding out things to a model of advising and serving and solving problems because that's what's going to be different uh, than everyone else, and that's what's going to keep us ahead of technology and and the things that are coming to disrupt our task driven. Uh, organizations. It's quite a revelation. I really like the part where where, where you, you talk about um, benchmarking against Apple or Four Seasons. Not only that, it sounds like moving to, to the advisor role is actually where the, the most value-added is. Now, you'd, you'd mentioned before, Wesley, about having an organization attractive to millennials, uh, a bit about that. What else have you learned um, in, in attracting millennials in, in terms of, let's say, purpose and what they're looking for from work? Well, you know, uh, I, I think you know I'm, I'm a big defender of, of this generation, and uh, uh, because I think a lot of things that they're criticized for, quite frankly, 
are, are our problems as the, as, the, as the parents. And I look back and go, <laughs> the reason our children act like they do is because of how we've raised them. And so uh, we, we've got to own that. And, and, but what I, thought, what I really tapped into was this. You know, as we get older, uh, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, and so as I've gotten older, it really wasn't I'm, – I'm 49 now, but it really wasn't until I probably hit that 40-year-old mark that I really began to go, well, wait a minute. What am I doing my, with my life again, and what's my legacy going to be? And, 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 and you don't really start – or at least in my case, I didn't really start thinking about that till, till at this point in my life where now I'm trying to catch up and build legacy and – who am I? Who am I impacting? And who, how am I? Who am I influencing? And what am I leaving behind? The great thing about this generation is this: they come into the organization at twenty-something years old, um, and they come in with that same passion and purpose in their lives of of what are they going to leave behind? What are they? How are they going to impact? How are they going to influence? And for me, that is a that was an incredible eye-opening uh, uh, situation where I saw, you know what, all this stuff that we're criticizing them for. Now it may be there may be some immaturity there, and there's some things they need to learn. There's no doubt we we all were in that place when we were that age. But what they have brought to the forefront is is a purpose-driven organization will be far superior to one that's not. You'll be more efficient. You'll be you'll have better experience. You'll have better client relationships. Everything about your organization will be better. And it, to me, that doesn't matter if you're a CPA firm, if you're Walmart, or if you're your church, or or does, doesn't to me matter. Doesn't really matter what it is. Is you have to define and find that purpose. And I love that the that the millennials have have brought that to us and have brought that to the forefront and have have made us uh, uh, address that with them. And so. Uh, you know, I think even now the, the this generation has evolved and, and, and they they are they have matured, and I think now we, you know, I, what I've learned lately is they don't even like to be called millennials anymore. Just kind of like, okay, enough of all that millennial stuff. We we're starting to grow up. We're, we're good. We're adults now. Can we just be adults, uh, and, and take us out of that box? And uh, and so we're having to do that. But but your organization does have to be, uh, I believe, purpose driven at its core to really attract and retain. Uh, uh, this generation. Well, you won't get you won't get an argument from me. The fact that maybe maybe what they really learned from us is having seen many. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm also an Xer and a, and a baby boomer myself. My father toiled for 37 years. I don't know if he enjoyed one bit of work. I think what's happened is younger people have seen that and thought, "Gee, um, I'm not doing that." And if I have a choice, why don't I why don't I ask the question? For instance, that you're asking now. Wesley, they want to ask it up front. We should be applauding them for that. Now, Absolutely. you you also encourage you put in your, if you will, in your philosophy, my term, that learning and sharing things about each other and about people are are important. I'm not sure where that started, but I'm curious about what that's taught you as you've deliberately sought to learn more about those that you work with. Well, I, you know, it, it's it's really about <clears throat> about growth and and how we grow and. We can set goals all day long, and we can achieve goals, but if we don't actually grow, you know, if we don't have real growth, both internally and in ourselves and our organizations, we're, we will meet our goals if we will grow. And and I found that for me to grow, I, I first had to really know myself. I had to know who I was. I had to know what made me tick. 
I had to, I had to know what my strengths and weaknesses and and so I went through this process of that self-assessment and and really getting that and then and then I I went around to my partner group and and we each had the same assessment done the same way and then we just traded you know because I figured the best way I can learn to work with a you know a partner in my organization is not only do I need to know myself, I really need to know what makes that person tick also. Because if I know what makes that person tick, uh, you know, and what, what, what they react to and what, what sort of you know, uh, positives and negatives, it changes the way I interact with that person. It changes the way I communicate with that person. And all the things that I thought I could do and say, I just found out, you know what, if I, if, if I want this guy to, 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 to really hear what I'm saying – I have to I have to know how to approach him. I have to know what's inside. And so, uh, I encourage uh, organizations that that really want to have growth because it's going to be painful. It's it's painful, you know, to, to, to open up and go. Okay, here's who I really am, right? Here's all this stuff I've been uh, hiding behind this facade. Well, here's all the good, bad, and the ugly that's inside of me that that, that you have to deal with, uh, and that's not easy, but. It it, it, it it helps us uh, build trust and uh, it helps us grow uh, as an organization when we when we really take the time to, to understand uh, uh, how the other person or the other people uh, work inside the organization. It's really it's really similar how some of these findings you're sharing, Wesley, coincide with uh, the three day flow of a leadership excellence course. For example, day one is about knowing ourselves in a deep way with assessments. Day two is about knowing others, and we call day three knowing your stuff. They're actually legacy Navy terms, and as Air Force guys, I suppose we can tolerate that. Here's, here's the last question about your book, Violent Leadership. I'm, I'm curious, now that you've been on this path for some time, are you noticing other professional services firms following your lead in terms of transforming? Yeah, you know, I... I uh, you... you tr- uh, you, you observe things and you and you kind of look at it and go, did I, did I help that? You know, not not to take credit, to go. Well, it kind of feels good to know that there's changes that are happening. And so, uh, I've been blessed to be able to speak at several uh, uh, conferences specifically for accountants, and I'm, I get to and I'm I'm going to be able to speak uh, at, at a large AICPA conference in Vegas this summer, and and so I get this opportunity to get up in front of these organizations and really talk about how to have a great culture and uh, what purpose means inside of a professional service firm. And so I do, I get feedback uh, when, when I went back for the second time this year to the same organization, I had people come and go, you know what, Wes, wow, I, I, I read your book, I heard your story, and we just, because I really preach, you know, just take away one thing to start doing, one thing to stop doing, and one thing to keep doing. If you don't, if you take, if you try to take away too much, it just ain't gonna work. Just take one thing, one one thing in each category. And so they come back and they say, Hey, you know what? I found this one thing I started. Here's what I stopped, and here's what we kept doing because we were doing it well. And uh, and so that is very look. I do see it, and and I don't look. I can't take all the credit. It's definitely not something that I'm. Uh, it's not like the things I'm saying are somehow unique. It's probably just that the light finally went off in my head of of how others have influenced me and I'm able to just put it in words that maybe relate to a different profession or to a different mindset. And so, uh, I do think it's changing. It is changing. And, and because, uh, they see these things we're doing, it raises the bar. I mean, when you start talking about NPS and, and they go, well, what is that? 
Well, so I noticed here recently that at the, one of the latest CPA conferences, there's now a, a net promoter score vendor that's there uh, promoting uh, net promoter score. And so as small as that may seem, it, it means that as, as organizations are now starting to measure that client experience in a different way, which will cause change in your organization. Once you get that feedback, you will change. Something will happen. And so uh, I, do, I do see the impact. I do small, small things that are happening, but uh, I, I, it feels good to know that, that, that uh, there is some positive influence happening uh, at other organizations and other firms um, um, sort of based on, on how we're doing it. You know, they, they, they say that, you know, that uh, copying someone is the, the highest form of flattery. So uh, uh, it's, it's good to see it happen. It's, it's got me convinced, Wesley, that not only are you becoming a leader coach, you're also becoming, using your term, you're becoming a thermostat of sorts in your own industry, which is really cool. So that really finishes the part with the with the book, Wesley. But looking ahead, are there any other uh, projects or other books that you're you're writing you want to share with the audience? You know, I've been asked that, and I, I just uh, no, I'm not. I, I uh, the book was sort of uh, I wish I could say it was intentional, but it just sort of happened, and I uh, I want to write a book, and I did it, and. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe maybe another day. Right now, we're just focused on, uh, on on how we impact our clients and taking what we're doing in our organization and really impacting other organizations and the people around us and and trying to build a firm that that uh, that does that. And so uh, you know, we we continue to tinker with things and experiment and innovate and uh, we raise the bar every chance we get to go. You know, if we're doing this now, where do we need to be? Because you know, people are going to catch up with us, right? As you as you change, and so uh, we just continue to do what we're doing and and look for better ways, and uh, spread the message, spread the word, talk about it. Uh, we don't try to protect it. It's look, you know what? If we all get better, uh, the rising tide raises all ships, and so let's all get better at this because it it makes it makes everything better. Uh, if we all improve in these Couldn't areas. Couldn't agree more with you, Wesley. And thank you so much again not just for CPAs, but anyone who really wants to break free and explore what they really want to do for a futuristic-type business, even if it's something we would call a classical business. Couldn't commend you more to pick up Wesley Middleton's Violent Leadership. Thanks so much for being on the Twaincast today. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed the Twaincast, a positive review and kind word to your friends and colleagues would be most appreciated. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag Choink, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E, and visit www.choink.com to sign up for an upcoming Leadership Excellence course and to support one of our worthy causes, such as Autism Speaks Walk.